We're uh, so blessed every Sunday morning to have, uh, have Brooke's some beautiful voice uh, guiding those of us whose voices aren't so beautiful. <laughs> uh, I was talking about me. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, most of us uh, make a joyful noise, but um, not everyone makes a, a pretty noise, and Brooke does. So um, last night, um, we began our revival by taking a look at a parable um, found in Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 18 through 19. It's the parable of the mustard seed. And um, I, uh, I, I'm pointing out that to me, when I read this parable, I think of, of, of the life cycle of a Christian. You know, the, the three phases we go through in, um, in our walk with Christ. And last night we talked about that first phase where, where we're like a seed and we're totally dependent on the gardener to do everything for us. And um, how that grace sort of goes before us and, and prepares the way um, to where we can um, someday um, accept Christ. And tomorrow we'll talk about um, when, when the tree grows and matures and, and, and how, uh, and how uh, its branches strengthen. And, um, but tonight we're going to talk about a transformation that occurs. At some point, that seed stops being a seed and it starts being a tree. There's a transformation that occurs. And for those of us as Christians, there's an important transformation that occurs for us too. At some point, we stop being what we were, Amen. and we start being what we're called to be, mm-hmm. what God has created us to be, that, that promise that has is, is, is been hidden inside of us all, alone, all along. The, the shell cracks at some point, and those first green shoots start to show up. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so to talk about that transformation, um, I'm going to have us take a look at another parable. It's uh, one of my favorite parables in, um, in the entire Bible, and it's a really short one, too. I like the short ones because you can just read them over and over and over, and you just get something a little different each time. This one's found in Matthew, the 13th chapter, um, verse 44. It's one verse could memorize it if you were so inclined. Hear now the word of our Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives tonight by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, when I was born, um, my uh, grandparents gifted my parents with um, uh, $500 savings bonds that um, would mature and... um, and when I became an adult, um, it would be mine to do whatever I wanted to do with. And, um, and, and they gave them to my parents for safekeeping and said, said, this is for Danny when he gets of age. 
And I remember being a kid and, um, and my mom talking to me about these savings bonds. And um, she said, um, you know, when, uh, when you get old enough, you'll be able to take this money and you'll be able to do what you want with it. It's $500. Um, maybe when you're in college, you'll, uh, you'll decide to go abroad and, and, and this could help you go abroad. Or, or maybe um, this could help you uh, uh, um, uh, buy your first car. Maybe you decide you want to you, you go to Disney World. $5 won't get you past a parking lot at Disney World, but, you know, um, there's just all these things you could do with it. And I remember the exact words she used. She said, I want you to take these savings bonds when you're old enough and get whatever your heart desires. I want you to think about that for a second. What does your heart desire? If someone, if someone said that to you, here's some money, go get whatever your heart desires. What would that be for you? I think about this, uh, I, I think about what my mother said when I read this parable, because it's about a man who finds what his heart desires. And he goes and sells everything so he can make it his. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. See, it's like this. The man was trespassing on someone else's property. We don't know why he's there, but, but, but he's in a field that doesn't belong to him. And he discovers in this field a beautiful treasure and he discovers this and he says, I have to have this. And he realizes that this treasure is worth more than anything he has. And so he goes home, he gets on the interweb, and he sells it all on eBay. The car, the house, everything he has, he sells it all on eBay. And he takes the money and he goes to the owner of the field and says, I'd like to buy your field from you. And apparently the owner didn't know what treasure was laying in his field because he said, good trade, I'll take it. And so the owner takes the money. Now the man has the field and he uncovers what's been hidden there. Now let me tell you what this parable means. Any good study Bible will tell you what I'm about to tell you. This is what the parable means. Jesus is the treasure in the field. Amen. Jesus is valuable beyond compare. And we, um, when, when we choose to follow Jesus, we, um, uh, 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 Jesus says, in order to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. When we choose to follow Jesus, we die to the world. We sell it all on eBay, right? Because we have this treasure now. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 describes it like this. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He says, I count it all as rubbish. Everything else the world could offer me is nothing compared to the treasure of knowing Christ. That's what's on offer to us. If we decide to, to, to be transformed, to, be, to become a Christian, that is what is on offer to us, is a treasure beyond compare. More valuable than anything we can imagine. And everything else is garbage. Now, um, the word uh, in Greek, rubbish, um, I'm going to try not to be too gross here. But, but this is the word for um, what you store in that pot and then you pour out into the road in the morning, okay? Use your imaginations, right? This, this is refuse. This is, this is waste. He says everything besides knowing Christ is in the pot, ready to be splashed out onto the sidewalk. It's nothing to me. All that I had before is nothing compared to knowing Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In other words, Jesus doesn't ask for a little bit of us. He asks for all of us. We have to be willing to sell it all on eBay in order to have Jesus everything. And Bonhoeffer knew what he was talking about. Uh, uh, maybe you don't know about um, Bonhoeffer. He, uh, he, he was a, a, a Lutheran priest during World War II, and um, he died in a concentration camp for standing up to Hitler, for standing in a pulpit and preaching against what Hitler was doing in Germany. He understood the true cost of discipleship. What it means to lay it all on the line and take up your cross and follow Jesus. It demands everything. Bonhoeffer talked about the difference between um, true grace and cheap grace. He said true grace demands everything of us. It's like, a, it's like that hymn, When I Surveyed a Wondrous Cross, where the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my strength, my will, my all. Following Jesus costs us everything. We've got to be willing to part with everything. That's what that parable means. Any uh, good commentary, any good study Bible will tell you that, will back me up. Um, I, uh, uh, I am on my way to being a licensed uh, preacher. Okay, I've been playing it fast and loose here for a couple of years, preaching without a license, but, <laughs> but soon I'm going to be a licensed preacher. And all, all the people that have been pouring into me and helping me study, they would tell you what I'm telling you tonight. That's what that passage 
means. Jesus is the treasure. We're the man in the field. So before um, I was y'all's pastor, um, I was a youth pastor, and, um, and for a time, I was a youth and children's minister um, at a church in North Carolina. And youth and children's ministry is a job. Doing both of those things, that is a job, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. That is, I mean, that is work, and I didn't go into the ministry to work. <laughs> so... Um, but I do miss something about children's ministry. I kind of miss children's church. You know, you know that, that, that moment um, during the song before, uh, before uh, the preacher gets up to preach and all the children get to go downstairs and have children's church? I loved that time every Sunday because I got to be a preacher in children's church. And I love to teach the parables. And when I taught the parables, I'd always make a game with the kids. And I'd say, you know, it's sort of a riddle. You have to figure it out. Who in this parable is God and who in this parable is me? And so we, we read the, a parable about the prodigal son, about, about the, the son that uh, spends all the father's money. And then I'd ask the question, who's God and who's me? And we'd say, oh, of course, we're the son and God is the forgiving father. Or we're the sheep. And God is the shepherd that leaves the 99. It's just a fun way to get the kids to think about the parables. And I remember I was doing this one about, uh, about the man um, who is wandering through the field and he discovers this treasure and uh, uh, it, it, it's worth so much to him that he goes and sells it all on eBay and comes back and gets the treasure. And after I got done um, teaching them this parable, I put the question to the little kids. Who in this parable is God, and who in this parable is us? And the kids were quiet for just a second. And uh, and then after a little while, one of the little girls in the back raised her hand, and she said, "You know what? I think that God is the man in the field, and we're the treasure." Now, I was getting ready to correct her because she was wrong, according to all the study Bibles and all the commentaries. Um, but then she continued. She said, it's like this. Jesus came to earth, and that was like the field. And he discovered us, and he wanted to have us. And so he went and gave up everything so he could have us. Right? <laughs> like my brains were splattered all over that children's church. I had read that parable a bazillion times. He had never seen that before. I was just, I, I, I was just dumbfounded. And now when I look at it, it's all I see. Like I know the right answer. I know the one that's in the study Bible. I know the one that's in the commentaries. But that's the one I see now. I see, um, I, I see Jesus uh, uh, coming out of his yard and coming into our yard. And, and, and I see him just, uh, just discovering us. And, 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 and I don't know why we're buried down there under all, those, all that layer of dirt. 
But somehow Jesus sees past all of that and he clears it all away. And he blows that dirt off and he looks and it's you and me. And he says, I've got to have this. But as soon as he discovers this treasure, he realizes it's going to cost him everything. So he leaves the treasure where it is. And he goes and he sells it all. He sells it all so he can have us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And, and, and sometimes we get it so backwards. We just fixate on all that we're giving up. Right? I told you that first story. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got to give it all up. And that's true. But sometimes we forget what Jesus gave up for us. Sometimes we forget what grace cost him. That he was mocked and ridiculed. He was whipped and beaten, spat on. That he had, he had legions of angels at his command, and he could have called them down at any, at any point to make it stop. And he didn't. That he was voluntarily raised up on that cross. Iron nails driven through his hands and his feet. He died of asphyxiation after, after a prolonged period of, of there, there's this little slant of wood on that cross that he was able to pull himself up for just a little bit and then he'd slide back down it again. The Romans knew what they were doing when they designed these torture devices. For some people, it took days. And Jesus, over and over again, getting just enough air to stay alive for a little bit longer and then sliding back down that shaft again. And was he saying, woe is me? Was he looking down and saying, forget all you all? No, he's saying, Father, forgive them. Amen. They know not what they do. And then he voluntarily looked up at the sky and said, Father, into your hands I commend my Spirit. He gave it all so he could have us. You know what that means? This is important. You don't get to decide what you're worth. The world does not get to decide what you are worth. No one gets to decide what you are worth. Jesus decided what you were worth 2,000 years ago on that cross. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, do you know, not know that you are not your own, but that you were bought at a price? Jesus gave up everything he had so he can have one of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, when you think about it, to sit here and stay, to say, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. I'm just a worm. That's blasphemy against the cross. Jesus decided you were valuable beyond measure when he died for you.
I'm hearing this story about, um, true story about this, this, uh, this little boy is about six years old and, um, and, uh, his sister desperately needed, uh, a, a blood transfusion. And, you know, they sort of tested everyone's blood and, and the little boy was the only one, uh, you know, in the family able to give. And so they, uh, you know, they, they talked to him about it, said, you know, you don't have to, it's up to you. And, and the little boy said, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. So uh, they um, wheeled them up in the hospital side by side, and the tube and the swirling, the little bags, everything, the whole bit. And, of course, all the nurses are focused on the little girl as, uh, as, as, as the red starts to go through the tubes. And they're just sort of making sure that, uh, that, that, that she's healthy and that she's, she's, she's getting what she needs. And no one's really paying attention to the boy who is just pale and shaking. And finally, one of the nurses notices the boy just seems very distressed. And so she goes over, um, over to his bed. Is, is, is everything okay? The little boy looks up at the nurse and says, when do I start to die? See, in that little six-year-old boy's mind, no one had explained to him that he wasn't giving all of his blood, that, that he was going to make it through this. And yet that's just what love does, isn't it? Jesus gave all of his blood. Jesus died for us. Because he loves us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So, I was in college. Um, I guess I was about a sophomore in college. And something really terrible happened to me. It happens to a lot of young men in college. I fell in love <laughs> with a girl. And... Um, I didn't know the girl very long before I decided I got to marry her. And um, here's the thing. I was like a youth pastor at the time, um, making, um, you know, $500 a month and $300 of it was going to my rent at my apartment. And so I (laughs) was baroque. And so I, I was just like... How am I going to buy this girl a diamond ring? And then I remembered something. Back at my house, where I grew up, I had a savings bond. And I remembered what my mother said to me. I want you to take that savings bond someday. I want you to get whatever your heart desires. I don't remember how much that ring cost. Here's the number I remember. How much was left in the bank when I was done? Zero. That's the number I remember. 
when Jesus purchased you and me, that's the number that was left in the bank. He gave it all to have what his heart desired. And that's a relationship with you and me. I want you to think about that question for a second. What does your heart desire? Jesus answered the question. He answered the question on the cross. There can be no doubt what Jesus' heart desires. It's you and me. He gave it all to have us. How about you? What does your heart desire tonight? Have you been holding a little back? Have you been saving something for a rainy day? You have a, have a little part of you stuffed in a bottle somewhere in case this Jesus thing doesn't work out and you're hedging your bets? Or have you surrendered everything to him? What does your heart desire? So we're going to sing a song is my favorite song the best song that was ever written number 378 amazing grace and um (laughs) some of y'all like i don't need the book um if uh if if this altar is yours it's always yours um but uh if you know that, that, that that you're holding a little something back and and that you need to commit just a little more to jesus knowing that he's committed it all to you. I just, uh, I invite you to use this altar. Um, If you're not not the kneeling type anymore, pray at the altar of your heart. And if you wave at me, uh, I'll come pray with you. If not, I'll leave you alone. But let's, uh, let's sing this song together. Number 378, Amazing Grace.